Nothing is ever as bad as your mind makes it out to be. Within three years of release, two out of three ex-offenders are rearrested. Clearly, something is broken. It's time we strategize ways to prevent repeat offenses. Our brainstorming session starts now. Welcome to A Prisoner's Pardon. Hello and welcome to A Prisoner's Pardon podcast. I'm your host, Michi J. We are now in the fall season and many of the advertisements we're seeing now is about Halloween. During this particular time, consumers spend millions of dollars celebrating this day. That tells me that many in this country like the thrill of being scared. Well, because of that, I think many of you will enjoy hearing from my next guest. His name is Brent Cassidy, and his story is called Nightmare Success. He went from CEO to Leavenworth. Now, that's what I call a fall season. The good thing is it was just a season because although things started off scary, it doesn't mean it has to end that way. Listen in to my chat with Brent as he talks about his nightmare and how it began. Now, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. How do you get through dark times? How would you navigate your way through fear while in prison? Now, fear can be a very paralyzing emotion or worse yet, it can have you spiraling and it can even lead to anxiety. Well, today I have here a special guest who will help answer those questions. Our guest today is Brent Cassidy. Now, Brent is the author of the book, Nightmare Success. And like he said in his book, he had it all and it lost it all, finding himself at the gates of Leavenworth Prison. Now, he was a successful CEO of a national company and was recognized by Time Magazine, Fortune, Forbes. These are some great places here. Now, (laughs) HBO did a documentary about his company that um, spawned the HBO series Six Feet Under. He also hosts his own podcast called Nightmare Success In and Out. Now, welcome, Brent, to our show. Welcome, Brent. Thank you so much. I'm honored to be here. Well, great. Right. I know I didn't mention half the things that you've done. (laughs) I know I haven't. So you're going to have to tell us more about yourself and then talk to us because you do have a book out there called Nightmare Success. It's kind of, you know, the two words, nightmare and success, you know, usually don't go together, but, you know, you're going to tell us (laughs) about that. It's uh that's why I put them together. Really? And yeah. So the nightmare success, and I, we, we were talking about before we got on here, whether we were going to have a Michelle or what was the other? The, Michi, Michi J. So we should, to the audience, Michi J sounds better, right? Michi right. J sounds like <laughs> things are happening. So yes. Michi J, I want to tell you that, yes, nightmare success, those two words don't usually go together. But if you think about it, mm-hmm. you really think back. Those two words are always together because whenever you're trying to do something, whenever you're going to say, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to make this happen, what happens with everybody is you have to step out of your comfort zone. And when you step out of your comfort zone, it creates fear. Uh, you have to maybe walk through your nightmares over, under, around, 
to get to where you want to be to set yourself free. So really, if you Mm -hmm. get to where you want to be to finally set yourself free, you have walked through your nightmares. You have walked through your fears. You, you have gotten out of your comfort zone and that's why nightmare success, if you're able to live it, it's a good thing because it means that you've been strong enough to be a survivor, to do whatever you had to do to step through. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's, uh, I, I, you're exactly right. I'm so glad you brought it up each day that way, because that's what nightmare success people think about it and say, Hey, those two words don't go together. They right. don't, unless you think about it. And it really does put them together just because that's the way people actually make it to where they want to go. You know what? I never thought about it until you said that, you know, it is always fear, the nightmare and a lot of people just don't know how to process that. So you're saying I, I have to know how to process this to get to my success then, right? Well, you have to be able to, you have to be able, even if it scares you, to step. I'm and easily I think, scared. I'm, I just want you to know. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> and I, think, and I think that one thing that happens, though, if you get into an unfamiliar situation, it'll either paralyze you. Or you can step back. But if you step forward and take a step, you all of a sudden start eliminating that fear because you start thinking, oh, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. You take another step. and Oh, my gosh, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. You start knocking those down and everybody builds up prisons in their own mind through their own experiences, of what they've had, whether it's a death or um, a job loss or a divorce or anything that goes on in life, whatever those experiences are, they build up these things that can paralyze you. It's when you have the right mindset that you can take that step. Nothing is ever as bad as your mind makes it out to be. Not even prison, not even standing. Well, you know, I was standing at the gates of Leavenworth prison. There were so many things swirling in my mind because mm-hmm. everything I loved was behind me right. and everything that was in front of me was an unknown that's scary. Hmm. And, you know, you, in my mind at that time, uh, you had to decide, I had to decide how am I going to handle this? And, and so I, I gripped together and I had five basic strategies that I used to, to walk through this unfamiliar territory. And, and I go and speak to people about that. You know, those, those five things that got me through mm-hmm. this unfamiliar world that I lived in for, I was sentenced to five years and served three years. And um, as, as things were, it's amazing what you can adapt to. Hmm. You can always surprise yourself, I think. Right. Yeah. We sometimes we, you know, and we don't want to adapt to a bad situation. And that's the bad thing about adapting. <laughs> you know, yeah. we, we don't move forward. And you, you know, we all have fears and that is a fear to go to prison for anybody. I think everybody think of that because I look at the toilet is open, you know, everybody use, you know, you have to share space, a small space and, you know, people are control in control of you all the time, actually, you know, so this, so tell us what is Leavenworth prison like, you know, I heard about it. It's like, (laughs) that's about it. Mickey J, what did you hear? It's like on TV. It sounded like a bad place. You know, I don't watch really horrible stuff because like I told you, I'm easily scared. I mean, when the music start playing on certain movies and I know it's scary, I'm, <laughs> I'm turning. Scared. 
I'm turning as soon as that that dun, dun, you know that music you sure. know that scary music I'm yeah. I'm turning I, I don't yeah. even stick around I'm like why would I pay somebody to scare me why would I sit there and be I'm easily scared I'm like no so what 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 were what was going through your mind when this like I know what those doors close is like <sighs> click what is you know? it is- yeah, it is scary. And, and, you know, when I voluntarily surrendered, some people are brought there different oh. ways. Um, it's strange just to go up to a prison and stand at a gate. Um, but standing there and then those big gates open up and they have all this bob wire around. And, and what happens is, is that I was at a minimum and you walk into uh, Leavenworth used to be a maximum and overnight there was a flood down in Louisiana and they changed it to a medium because they needed the space. But oh, okay. it's 1879, <laughs> 1879 is this old looking place. It looks like the old Shawshank Redemption prison. Mm-hmm. And they walk you into the bowels of the bottom of this basement. And it is um, it's intimidating. And you also, as you walk through, you, there's something physical, I think, that happens, not just mental, but you almost feel like that you, your freedom's shedding off your skin. It's, oh. it's like a strange phenomenon that you've, you, as you walk further in, the more you realize that you don't have any more control and whatever freedom that is that you stepped out of, you've left. And, and anything going forward now is, is an unknown, and they're not going to tell you anything. That's the other thing that's interesting about it. Is, is that, <laughs> wow, that is scary. You know, they, 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 doesn't matter if you ask any questions, they don't tell you anything. So you don't know if you're going to be there for five minutes, five hours, five days when they're, when they're processing you through, but they immediately put you in a cell and you sit there for three or four hours and you don't know if they know that you're not really supposed <laughs> to be here. Wow. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's what you think of when you see uh, TV, it's, you know, these, these cells that have, you know, the toilet and the sink and whatever. And then it's, it's your, your whites and your uh, beiges. There's no, there's no colors. Uh, There's concrete. And eventually, you know, they take your clothes off. They, they dehumanize you. They throw you the bad stuff, you know, the, the temporary prisoner clothes. Everybody knows you're temporary. Mm-hmm. and then they eventually take you to where you're going to go. And just like in the movies, they, everybody looks at you. You know, I got, uh, I was with another guy that had was that day was coming in as I was. Mm-hmm. And so we went in together, but yeah, people gather around and they look, you know, like, well, size you up. You know, <laughs> what? Just, For this, real? This, uh, you know, what kind of person is this is checking in here? Oh, but then they, you know, my first day, um, just to run everybody through my first experience, what I was doing, you know, they, they, they immediately have uh, a prisoner that's, that's in charge of taking care of you. And that prisoner came up to us and he was kind of like a, a stocky, burly looking kind of skinhead, white looking guy, he had tattoos all the way up his, to his neck and um, wasn't very talkative. He took us down this this stairway that you had to walk single file line down the stairway stairwell. And then, and then you came into this basement. It was real dark, low, damp, wow, dark. That's scary. It was, you, you walk all the way back and you find this like chain link fence. And then in this chain link fence area, they handed you like your, you know, three pairs of underwear, your, <laughs> your socks, your, your, uh, your 
I didn't have, we didn't have a pillow. They said, you're not going to have a pillow for a while. Your coat, your pants, three shirts, three pairs of pants. So, and your boots and the boots were, I don't know where they get these things, <laughs> but those things are like wearing bricks. And so you carry all that stuff and you start walking up and then they, you end up where I was, where you would like to be is in a cell, a two man cell. And there were two wings of that. Otherwise there was a dormitory like where you got cinder block walls, concrete floors, 50 bunk beds, and you got little uh, lockers and plastic chairs. And then in the middle of that whole dormitory, you had um, three showers, six sinks, three toilets, three urinals. And that was it. And then they'd lead you to your bunk bed with your plastic chair and your locker. And when I got there, I had a guy that uh, his name was Romo, and he says, what's your name? I said, Cassidy. He said, doesn't look like you've been here before. <laughs> I said, I have. It. We're going to have to help you out. So he immediately started helping me. He, he said, hey, we got to make this bed military style. Warden comes through here, does inspections. So he immediately starts helping me. He said, we got to clean out your locker. Can't put, he said, that's, that's junky. That's gross. We got to clean that out. So Romo immediately started helping me. Unbeknownst to me at the time, Romo was a guy in the prison. He 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 represented the um, Texas Homeboy. He was a shot caller for the Texas Homeboy Hispanic group, and um, he spoke for me. He said, "Hey, don't bother Cassidy. Cassidy's my person." And mm-hmm. and then he introduced me to a guy, um, walked me over to another guy that was a white collar guy. He said, uh, "Jim Clark." you meet Cassidy, you help Cassidy. He's one of you. And so I met Clark strangely enough. Hmm. This is all happening within an hour of me being there. Strangely enough, I find out that Jim Clark is eight years, my senior. We both played basketball at the same high school. Wow. And just eight <laughs> years apart. I mean, how weird is that? Yeah. So anyway, wow. Jim ends up being a friend of mine from then on out. Uh, he helps me get a, a good job in the prison. And, and that, you know, then my I was going to say just my final thing of the first day was, is I was thinking, you know, my mind going into this was just absolute scared. And within an hour, I had a couple of guys helping me out. And then I was able to go downstairs. I had, heard, I had read that you can make a phone call back to your family because I knew Julie and, and I have three girls. I knew that they were going to be worried. Mm-hmm. Um, and dropping me off. And so I, I was, I went to my case manager and, and I said, I heard that you can make a, or a, a, a phone call. And he said, yeah, Ray, you can make a phone call. And I said, I'm actually rent. I'm like, yeah, said, it's not your name. And, it, and he said, no, you just look like Ray Romano. He said, I, and I said, Oh, okay. <laughs> and this strange world. Okay. This is, this is, this is funny. Okay. I look like Ray Romano. Uh, so anyway, I'm, I get on the phone, he dials the number and then there's my family on the other end of the line. And, and, uh, I was like, wow. wow. And I just told him, Hey, I, I'm okay. I've got a couple of people that have helped me out. It's not nearly as bad as my mind made it out to be. And I, I'm going to do all right. I'm, don't worry about me. I'm going to be wow. okay. And so that was really my first, um, my first thing except when I went to bed that night, because you have these counts at four o'clock, 10 o'clock, and then they shine flashlights in your eyes all through the night um, during these count times. And I, that night I was kind of two bunk beds away from the, the uh, bathroom 
I thought, you know what, Brent, every time in your life, when you got into a new situation, you made goals and you wrote them down. I thought, I need to do that. I need to, I need to sit down tonight by the light of this and, and take a piece of paper and, and pen. And, and so I wrote down, you know, what I wanted to get accomplished and, and how to start stepping through this. And so that was really my first run through the day. And, you know, everything about the place was awful. You know, it mm-hmm. had no air, had no air conditioning. Um, it looked like a rundown schoolhouse, little rundown schoolhouse. Um, not very big. You know, it had two main hallways with four A block, D block, C block, D block, and, and a gymnasium and a commissary place and a cafeteria in the middle. And it just wasn't very big. Uh, and then you had a yard in the back where people like to get out and not be inside because the inside was not, not the greatest place to be. Wow. That's, you know, we, we're talking about fear and really how to navigate through that. You know, I can't, you know, imagine going through what you just went through, but that sounds very scary. I think most people would be scared, especially if it's their, their first time. And, and then it's a prison, you know, and then they don't tell you and you don't, it's like dehumanizing, you know, cause I visited prisons, yeah. a lot of prisons cause uh, my brother is in prison and I feel suffocated just for the few hours I'm there, but just to think that I have to stay there, you know, I, I, I would be sweating. Was anybody crying or anything or did anybody? Well, I mean, I think, um, for a lot of people, they don't because okay. they don't, they don't want to, you know, I think there's crying in the showers. You know, <laughs> some, some of the people I've talked to on my podcast talk about that. You know, I ask them how they handle hard days or what their strategies are, but, mm-hmm. um, and there are really hard days and you do have to have ways to get through prison. I had a, I had a calendar that my youngest daughter would send me every year. Mm-hmm. And what I would do is I had a, every night before I went to bed, I wrote down one of the squares for the day uh, on the calendar. And, you know, I always try to get a win for the day, whatever happened. I just, you know, was looking, always looking for a win, you know, am I, regardless where I am, am I getting any better? And if I had a really bad day, I let myself go all the way down. But my my trick in my brain was is not to have two bad days in tr- prison because if you do that, it's hmm. a slippery slope, and you can slide down into being getting institutionalized because there's really only two places in prison that that you slot into. You you have, and it's 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 very interesting how that movie Shawshank Redemption. There's some lines in there. Uh, that Morgan Freeman says, and and Andy Dufresne, Red and and Andy Dufresne say that one of them is you either get busy living or you get busy dying. There's only two kinds of prisoners in prison. There's the kind that are trying to make things work, not lose themselves, Mm -hmm. try to keep being themselves. And then there's the people who have given up, completely Hmm. given up, kind of just, uh, you know, they might as well be in a fetal position. So the thing that I always wanted to make sure is, is I didn't lose myself. And if I I felt like if I had two bad days in prison and I couldn't find a win for the day, it would be a slippery slope for me to fall into becoming an institutionalized prisoner where and institutionalized what I mean by that, because I notice a lot of that on the outside being back from prison. Right. Being institutionalized, when you get into a really bad routine and a very bad situation, 
And that becomes the thing you're most comfortable with. And you could get presented something even like freedom and you're afraid of it. And you want to stay in the thing that you're most comfortable with, even if it's the worst thing that you hate. You don't want to get there. And a lot of people on the outside, I notice now, you know, I've been out for about five or six years. I notice that people get institutionalized, not being in prison, but they're imprisoning themselves with either a bad job or they have an opportunity come up and they won't take it because they just fear stepping out of that. They can't do it because this is, this thing has like, you know, it's the grips of holding them back to not mm-hmm. be able to step forward. And that's just, um, and that can identify something you have to work on. Yeah. I can identify with that. And it's, um, I, I don't know if I told you, I just did an early retirement from uh, my career position and stepping out uh, what I believe is my calling is to work more in the prison reform area. And I just needed to do it full time, but it was just hard to let go of the position at times because you're, you, and not, you know, I wanted to leave, but then it's like a certain thing that I was afraid to leave. Sure. And it's It's what you knew is what I know. And it's like, almost like, um, I know you haven't been pregnant before, so you wouldn't know I haven't, but my wife says it's really horrible. (laughs) Well, anyway, we women, we have hormones and it's like, you'll be happy and then you'll be sad. And it's like, that's how I felt, you know, cause I was leaving and my, a lot of my good friends, you know, I met through the years and been around every day, you know, and we had set routines. So yeah. this, you know, so I can, I can kind of um, understand this institutionalized thing and how we just stick to our comfort zone. So you said, you, you, your daughter sent you a calendar and you mm-hmm. said that you would try not to have two bad, two bad days. days in a row. I like that. You know, you can have a bad day and I, I, I don't, you know, that's one thing about talking to people about getting through life. You can't be unrealistic. I mean, you're going to have bad days regardless of where you are mm-hmm. and how you handle that is really how you get out of it. You know, mm-hmm. if you, if you know that you're going to have a bad day, let it take you down, get really, you know, whatever that is. If you're feeling sorry for yourself or whatever <laughs> that, that pain is, go all the way down with it, but then force yourself back up and know you can't do it mm-hmm. twice. Cause that's where you get depressed. So that's where you go down the slippery slope because then that becomes part of what you, you expect or you've given into. And, and I think, um, it worked for me because it, it, I had bad days and I would force myself back up because um, mm-hmm. it's easy to slide. It's mm-hmm. easy to slide in prison. It's easy to slide in life. It's easy to start feeling sorry for yourself. And, um, and that's one of the things, too, that I think when you're dealing with fear. Because mm-hmm. I, I had a situation, Michelle, where I actually hit rock bottom the night before I pled. You know, my kids were going to, we had a family meeting and, and my, you know, my mom and my brother were going to help take care of my wife and the kids and, and, it, and everything was kind of getting taken care of. And, and so when we got off the phone, they were uh, out of town. I was going to go see them the next day after I did, uh, went to court to plead. And I started drinking and 
was drinking too much and uh, started feeling really sorry for myself. You know, how did this happen? How could this have happened to me? My kids, you know, I can't be a stain on them for the rest of their lives having an, an ex-felon dad. My wife, she needs to get a clean start. She doesn't deserve to have to deal with this hanging over her head from here on out for the rest of her life. And so I, as, as strange as it is, these things started making sense to me. And I got out a piece of paper and I started giving my daughters all the fatherly advice of, what you know they needed to know and and julie how great a wife she'd been and all these friends that had supported me and i got another drink and finished that letter and then i got another drink and i grabbed the keys and i went down to the garage and i didn't know if i was going to go hit a tree or i was just going to let the the car run and it was like michelle something hit me and i, I remember it like vividly as i do today mm-hmm. it just hit me like oh my god brent what are you doing? You're the glass half full guy. You're, you're, you would look like the weakest person in the whole world if you went out this way. The girls couldn't believe that this would have been your legacy. And it was at that moment I thought that whatever that is, I'm not going to be a victim. Because a victim, you blame somebody else's fault. It takes away your strength. And if you flip the script on yourself and say, hey, I'm going to be a survivor, a survivor gives you strength. And it, even if you're scared, you are willing to step into it because I'm surviving this. I'm, I'm going to conquer this. I'm going to be something with this. And for that point forward, shall I said to myself, no matter what happens, no matter what I've got to go through, I'm going to step through it. I'm going to get through it. And hopefully my family will be proud by the way I handle it. And that's a lot of what I want to get out of with my book and, and the things I talk about now is that you can hit rock bottom. And sometimes when you hit rock bottom, you find your soul and you find out how to survive. And yeah. for me, you know, I had gone through six years of a federal investigation. I was coming to the end of it. And I think I just hit everything. But you got to catch yourself because thank God I didn't pass out in the car or anything else or, you know, things could have been much different, but. Oh yeah. It's definitely, um, you know, could have been much different. I don't believe in just happenstance, you know, with this message that you have and everything and what you went through and that you can help others go through it and get, you know, and just to see your success. And I like what you've been saying, because it sounds like, you made a decision. Each one, you said, it's not going to be two days. I'll go through it. You right. know, it's not, I'm not going to be a victim because right. fear and, you know, it sounds like you have to make decisions and not just a victim. It seems like you just at the mercy of everything almost. Right? You are. <laughs> and, and, and I think the thing about that is, is that we unfortunately are getting into a victim society. It's you know? terrible. It's terrible. You know, one thing is because, you know, on one level, it's it's money. You know, they yeah. you know, they're making money off being victims. I see it. I've been in a situation where I see it and it's like they all the messages is to be a victim. You know, I'm a victim here, I'm a victim there. And, you know, and it's like what you said, it's an excuse. You know, it's not saying that things don't happen. And, you know, because every, you know, these things could be very well legit. But do you, does it make you or break you? Like you, you went through prison, right? You know, you 
made it something to lift you up instead of, you know, something to just put you down. So hearing from someone like Brent, who by most standards had it all, talk about then ending up in prison gives us a different and needed perspective on prison life and how one adapts. Well, we're not done with Brent's story about his nightmare success. Tune in next week to finish hearing how nightmares can be turned into successes. Thanks for tuning in today. Until next time, I'm Michi J. Wishing you a week filled with blessings. Thanks for tuning in to the show. For more information on our guests and resources, visit prisonersparty.com. If you're enjoying the content, follow, like, and subscribe to this podcast. Also, please be sure to leave a rating and review. Until next time, God bless.